Stages podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's springtime, finally. It's a time for renewal and letting go. And one of my favorite things to do is to open my closet and get tossing. I let go of so many things that don't serve me and don't reflect who I am anymore. I make space. And guess what? You can do this with your inner closet as well, as we say in yoga. Relationships, patterns, habits that you have outgrown that don't serve you, well, you get to toss those too. You get to make space inside of your spirit and you get to decide what you're going to fill it with. It is very powerful, but it's it's not always easy because growth is sometimes challenging, but it is always good. And BetterHelp can help. A good therapist can give you tools to explore yourself. They offer customized online therapy, either on video or phone chat sessions. It's more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can speak with someone in under 48 hours. Right now, Stages podcast members get 10% off their first month with BetterHelp. So giddy up, get clearing. We have had so many of our listeners take advantage of BetterHelp, and we really thank you because when you support our sponsors, you support Stages Podcast. So log on to BetterHelp. That's H-E-L-P dot com slash Stages. Get tossing, start growing, and happy spring. Hi, I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. Welcome to Stages Podcast. Where we're bringing creation and connection to center stage. I just told Mary Lee, though, listen to this. My, after I hang up with y'all, I'm taking my daughter to a birthday party for her friend, Asaka. Now, how often do you hear the name Asaka? And here we are with you. Never. Come on. I know. Isn't that wild? Is is it A-Z-A or A-S-A? A-Z-A-K-A. Yeah. Very close. But even still. I know. Our guest today is often referred to as one of the most powerful belters on Broadway. And of course, that is undeniable. But after just sharing a creative working space with her these last several weeks, I believe she is one of the most powerful hearts, powerful souls, just one of the most powerful forces in the Broadway community. Her sense of self and what she brings to a role, a show, a space she recognizes and she honors that power. And then all others respectfully and rightly so sit up and take notice. There is a ness in quotes to this mother, actor, singer, creator. She is faithfulness, soulfulness, realness, kindness, effectiveness, fairness, frankness. I could go on and on. But what you may want to know about her, you will not find online. She is quite private about such things. Another thing that I so admire about her, that she has said yes to sit and share with us today is a true blessing, and I welcome her with a great fondness. Please welcome to the podcast, Keisha Lewis. Keisha Lewis to stage, please. Keisha, can we have you to stage? Oh my God, that's a whole lot. Thank you. Yikes. I will say when I was, we were doing some homework, your online presence, I feel is very uh, protected. And that has to be by your choice because we know how online uh, private lives, careers, earnings, like all of the things will be listed there. Is that something that you did notably take 
um, pay attention to and, and try to fix? Yeah, I did. Um, there is, there is some page that somebody made up that said, uh, that I was in my forties, which I'm not, that I'm still married, which I'm not. And that I'm a multimillionaire, which I am certainly not. <laughs> there was another phrase that really made me chuckle. It said, hold on, I had to write it down because I was like, oh, did mm. she? It said that uh, um, when you were 18, you signed up for Broadway and <laughs> signed up for Dreamgirls. I was like, oh, is that how that works? I need to ask her about the signing up for how Broadway. How do I get on that waiting list? How do I sign up? I don't know if you remember the first time we ever met. You probably don't, but of course I do so clearly. We were was at, it during the Once on This Island days? No, it was after the Once on This Island days. We were at a concert for LaChance and we all went out for drinks after. And I was sitting next mm-hmm. to you and we started chatting. And all of a sudden I turned to you and I went, wait, are you Asaka? You started this. laughing. You go, yeah. And I was like, oh my God, I have to hug you. Please hug me. I just started to cry. I jumped out of my seat. I was hugging you. I'm like, oh my God. Because oh, man. first of all, I was just obsessed with that show and with, you know, everything about it. But it was just so fun when all of a sudden I was sitting next to you and realized I'm like, that voice, I'm sitting next to Osaka right now. Yeah, You're so wonderful to watch on stage. Something about watching you up there that is m- mesmerizing to be in an oh, audience. Oh, thank you. Thank Perfect. you. I feel like one of the spiritual callings in my life is as an encourager. And mm. I think that that somehow has been interwoven in my performing life. I don't know how, but I hear that a lot. And the only thing that I can equate it to is that I know one of my spiritual gifts is as an encourager. Now, everybody doesn't like my way of encouragement sometimes. However, it's there. What are some of the other spiritual callings that you feel like you have in your life? Um, I am a teacher. Um, Occasionally, this is a little Christianese. I'm used prophetically. Mm -hmm. I feel like my higher power, God, who I call God, um, very often will tell me things about people, um, that I wouldn't know Mm. without them telling me most of the time it's for the purpose of prayer. Mm. And sometimes it's for the purpose of encouragement. Do you practice Reiki or anything like that? I don't, I think I've maybe had it done once. Uh, I practice Reiki. And sometimes when I'm sitting next to somebody or sometimes just walking down the street, all of a sudden I can literally feel my hands turn on and I feel mm-hmm. like, Oh, I need to touch them on their back. And I'll like walk yep. behind them and just be like this with my hand up behind them. Cause I can feel yep. they need like something in there. It's really- yep. Now, when you say turn on Mary Lee, do they get warm? Do they get sweaty? Do they get tingly? They get what is that? Hot. Okay. And they get pulsy. So it feels like you have, you know, when you have two same sides of a magnet, yes. try to push it mm-hmm. together. That's what yes. my hands feel like. Like oh, I couldn't wow. put them together if I wanted to. Yeah. yeah, that wow. yeah so I can relate awesome. with that feeling that you're talking about, except for me, mm-hmm. it's like a physical feeling in my hands. And but that's, that's still a spiritual I, voice, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Absolutely. Sometimes I feel it in my hands when I am to pray for them. Um, sometimes it's a prayer thing that, you know, I may encourage them and then ask them, can I pray? Very rarely has anyone said no. And almost always when that happens, there is a warmth on my hands. I like to hold hands or touch somebody on their body in some way. 
I believe it's all the same thing. Connection is yeah, connection. And I we agree. have all these silly labels that we like to stick on them. We, we just want to understand, I think, a lot of times. And so as humans, we put all kinds of labels on things so that we can try to make sense of it. And sometimes it's like, you don't have to make sense of it. Just let it be and accept yeah. what it is. When you're looking at a new show or a new role, do you try to see if that encouragement or any of your spiritual guides reveal itself to you in the material? How does that work? Yeah, it depends. Um, It's not always, I would say, as I've gotten older, that's become more the case where I look for it in the work. Mm -hmm. Um, I connect to uh, work that has, even if it's a little tiny piece of me in there, and even if it's what I would consider a shortcoming um, that somebody could learn from Mm -hmm. um, and, and be encouraged by the lesson, because I've played those kind of roles before, um, I look for that now. Uh, but probably in my younger days, not so much. Not so much. For our listener, I want to go back because we're referring to her career, but they need to understand the scope of her career. It's approaching almost 40 years. And again, because of the online uh, scarcity. I had to go to broadway.com. I had to go to IMDB. So I'm going to shoot things at you and you say, (laughs) yes, I did it. No, that seems like a fib. Let's go. Okay. Okay. Well, we already recognized once on this Island, Asaka. Yes. The drowsy chaperone. Yes. Leap of faith. Yes. Chicago. Yes. Big river. Yes. Ain't misbehaving. Yes. Dream girls. Yes. Shrek. Yes. Cinderella. Yes. The gospel at Colonia. Uh, how do you pronounce that? Colonus. Okay. I was close. The gospel at Colonus. Yes. Dessa Rose. Yes. The Rose Tattoo. Cast, but wound up not doing it. Understood. Children of a Lesser God. Yes. The Skin of Our Teeth. Yes. Mother Courage and Her Children. Yes. Damn, what did we miss? You are such a, <laughs> what a this is prolific. Holy cow. And you were the youngest Effie ever, right? Weren't you the youngest? I was. I, I have that distinction now that I'm an old lady. Yeah, <laughs> I uh I was the last of uh the Michael Bennett original Broadway cast Effies and the youngest. I was cast when I was 18. So you grew up in the arts, in the performing arts. When did you find out, ooh, I've got a gift? And then where did your trajectory take you? Um, For me, I grew up in, I was an only child. And my dad had aspirations of being a recording artist in the 50s. And he had some unfortunate shysters take advantage of him. Mm -hmm. And he got discouraged. And then next thing you knew, he had a family and a wife. And he thought, I got to let that go. I got to support my family. So he let it go. So he was my primary encourager. My dad was the one who took me to my first voice lesson. I think when I was 11 or 12, because I said I wanted to sing. Uh, My mom was more practical and wanted me to be a teacher. In her mind, that was the highest thing, like a professor in college. Um, And that was her push. So a lot of my, and because my dad was gone a lot and working, um, I did a lot of encouraging of myself. 
Mm-hmm. I did a lot of teaching of myself, being an only child. I always tell people, uh, they ask me about singing influences and I say, Shaka Khan taught me how to sing because mm-hmm. <laughs> I would listen. My my parents had this huge, remember those old stereos yep. that had an eight track, uh, oh, yeah. uh, an eight track, a radio and a turntable. It was yeah, a piece of furniture. Yeah, they were like furniture. stacked. Oh, sure it was. Yeah. No, it was, it was, it was this way. It was like, ah the size of a wall. It was a piece of furniture that you could put photos on and all kinds of things. So we had one of those still have it. And it still works. It's at my grandma's house. Um, and I would play records on that. My, my living room when I was a kid was mirrored. Remember those seventies mirrored rooms? Either wood panel or mirror paneled. Exactly. Right. We were fancy. My mother was middle-class fancy. So we had the mirrors and I would stick my ear to the stereo, which is probably why I have to say, huh, a lot now. (laughs) Oh, Shaka Khan, Shaka Khan. Shaka Khan. And I would try to match her note for note. And I would like try to figure out in my body, like how to get my voice to do what her voice did. And I listened to choir music and I learned how to teach parts. I was a choir director at one part, one point. So now I can automatically hear where the three-part harmony is, or maybe a fourth or a fifth. So all those things were influenced with me not knowing what I was going to do. I knew that I wanted to perform. Um, but had no idea like how to get there. So by the time I got to high school or junior high school, I heard about the school performing arts in Manhattan. I grew up in New York city and uh, I auditioned. Uh, I wanted to audition for voice. And at that time, uh, there were two schools, the high school of performing arts and the high school of music and art. The two schools have since combined and become LaGuardia School of the Arts. But when I was there, it was separate schools. So the school that had vocal music was music and art, which was uptown in Harlem. And my father would not sign the paperwork for me to travel to Harlem from Queens. He was just Uh like, it's too far. It's Harlem. It's too much. But he had no problem with me going to school in Midtown in the late 70s, early 80s. I don't know what he was thinking because <laughs> it was a whole lot worse than Harlem. Now, yeah. was that but, campus in the same place right across the street from Lincoln Center, right there on 60-something? Or no, was it a, no. a different place? So okay. the two campuses, one was 46th between 46. Broadway and 6th. And my first Broadway show was on 46th between Broadway and 8th, which oh, was Dreamgirls wow. at the Imperial um, and the sister school was on 135th Street, okay. uptown near City College. Okay. So I went to the high school of performing arts, uh, met my tribe, whole bunch of weirdo kids just like me. But performing arts did not have a music department. They had drama, um, uh, dance, and instrumental music. Hmm. So that's where I trained as an actress. I wanted to sing, but I had, I knew I had to get into a performing arts school. My dad wouldn't sign the paperwork for the other one. So I went to performing arts and was a drama major and then got my singing in later in an interesting sort of way. Mm. Um, I'll tell that story real quick. So because we didn't have a vocal department, um, there was a gospel choir the year that I came in. 
Uh, it was directed by a senior named Judy Christie McAllister. And if you look up Judy, Judy is now considered the originator of praise and worship music in the Black church. She was a music major and she started this choir and the school wouldn't sanction it. So basically they rehearsed and kind of did nothing, you know, just kind of rehearsed because they, because kids wanted to sing. So by the time I became a senior, I wanted that gospel choir again. And another kid in the music department, Roger Holland, he wanted that gospel choir again. So we joined together and we formed you know, our little gospel choir, we invited anybody in the school who wanted to come. The school, again, would not sanction it. I wanted to sing places. So what we did was we would pool our money on Fridays, high school kids, and we would rent a studio, the Harlequin Studios. I don't know if you remember those on 46th between Broadway and 8th. It was where Howard Johnson's was. It used to be on- Remember that? 46, yes. 46. I used to use Broadway. the Howard Johnson bathroom all we the all time did. when I was in <laughs> <We> <laughs> <all did. laughs> That's the, the way, right? Isn't it crazy? The Harlequin mm-hmm. Studios was right behind it. Okay. And so we would rehearse every week. We would sing at each other's churches. And then, and it was about 50 of us. And then the New York State High School Gospel Choir Competition came around. We asked the school, could we participate? They said they would not be involved. And me being me at 16 years old, I said, what if I get a note from every kid in my choir from their parents saying that they're allowed to be out of school that day? They said, well, if that happens, I mean, it happens, but you can't call yourselves the performing arts gospel choir. You can say that you are students of performing arts. We entered, I got all the parents to sign it and we won the thing. (laughs) Oh my God. I'll bet they And there's to be another nest. The then. boldness yeah. that that took at 16. Wow. 50 wow. kids. And our the the champions previous for the last five years was guess who? Our sister school, music and art, oh. with their 250 voice sanctioned gospel wow. choir. One of the questions yeah. I had for you was, was the arts high school like the TV show fame and don't tell me it wasn't. (laughs) (laughs) So school was more like the film. Okay. I'll take it. I'll take it. The TV show. You watch the film and that was the summer before I came in. I probably would have been in the film. That is my, that's my go-to film when I haven't had to use it much lately, but whenever I would feel really down about the business and I needed a reminder of why I would watch that movie, Mm -hmm. I would see most of my classmates and it was just like the movie. I love that you go back to the film. I have a little poster note that says, remember why you started. I also believe when anything becomes a way of living or a job, it takes on certain responsibilities. And, you know, it's a, it's a hard balance to keep that passion and that excitement when it is also a job. Were you at the high school of performing arts the same time that Danny Burstein was there? Danny Burstein and I graduated together. Oh yeah. Yeah. He's amazing too. He's a, yeah, he is. And Danny Burstein in high school was quiet Mm -hmm. and shy and unassuming had no idea he could sing. 
And then the first day that he kind of did his thing in rehearsal for Drowsy Chaperone, my mouth was on the floor. I was like, who are you? Yeah. We interviewed him several months ago and he said that he was, you know, kind of shy and quiet in high school. He was so shy and quiet. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you a funny story. So Drowsy, that audition came in like a day or two before and they were looking for um, a comedy. They said, bring a comedy song. I didn't have a comedy song. And I didn't have time. So I thought, what can I do that might be funny? I know I'll do a song that everybody knows, but I'll do it in another genre. So I decided to do um, Tomorrow from Annie Mm -hmm. in a gospel version. They were on the floor. Oh my gosh. I went all the way in. Now, the the funniest part about that story was that the rehearsal pianist who wound up becoming our second on keys, and then our associate conductor, his name is Matt Perry. He won't mind me saying this because I've said it to him. Uh, he, he, especially at that time, he looked like Charlie Brown. He was just this round-faced, sweet-faced, little tuft of hair on the top, kind of nerdy, unassuming guy. Could this blockhead play gospel music, Keisha Lewis? <laughs> right, so here we go. So I turn, I look at him and I go, So I say to him, I would like to do this in a gospel style. If you don't feel comfortable, it's fine. I can do it a cappella. And he said, no, no, I I can do that. So I had mentally prepared myself that if he butchered it in the first few bars, I would say, give him the handaroo, Mm -hmm. the end. Thank you. And then I would continue a cappella. So I nod to him and he goes, dun, 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 dun. Black Black Baptist all day. Come on. Come on. Boom, boom, boom. The sun will come out. And off we went. Did you ask him, where did you learn those skills, Charlie Brown? He and I became really good friends. And when I did my first nightclub act, he was my MD. Oh, how wonderful. And we told that story. Oh, so so fun. Yeah. I want to go to Dreamgirls for a minute. How was it that you got that show that you became the youngest Effie? Dreamgirls happened because when I was in high school, when it opened, one of my teachers came to me and said, There is a show that's opened on Broadway and the lead character, I think that you can play. You need to see it as soon as possible. It was my senior year. So I got my boyfriend at the time to take me. I could not move after Jennifer finished. And I'm telling you, and it was like hyper-focus. It's like, I have to play this role. I have not seen since that era, a voluptuous, fluffy, overweight, whatever you want to call the bigger girl Black woman as also the ingenue and the heroine Mm -hmm. had not seen it. So it was like, I have to do this no matter what, somehow, somewhere. That was also back in the days when you could call a casting director and they picked up the phone. (laughs) The casting (laughs) director, remember that? (laughs) 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 The casting director was Vinnie Liff, God rest his soul. I called Vinnie Liff every month to month and a half for two years. I had no agent. I wasn't in the union. I was a kid. I was going to NYU. 
and would say, hi, Mr. Liff, it's Keisha Lewis. I'm your Effie. Don't forget me when it's time. I went to every open call, which was wow. basically six open calls over the course of two years, very often got typed out. And then one day Vinny Liff called me and said, okay, you're going to get your shot. Michael Bennett, and Michael Peters are seeing two of you today. And he had seen me all these many times. He said, wear this dress and that shoe and wear your hair this way and show up at 890 Broadway. Indeed, at this Broadway. point, you're like 19 years old. I was 18 because I graduated high school at 16. Oh, but wow. it's the same 15-year-old that said, I want to start a gospel choir. Yeah. How yeah. do we make this happen? I want to be in that show. How do I make this happen? I have no agent. So I picked up backstage and showbiz you know, every week and went every and, time. And when you showed up in that room and you know, this is my shot, were you nervous? Were you excited? What were you? Were you I out was of your body? nervous. I was out of my body. I was nervous. I had never seen Michael Bennett. I had seen Michael Peters maybe on a photo. So I kind of knew who he was, but I knew he wasn't the one who was going to make the decision. It was the little short Italian guy. That's what I was just going to say. <laughs> Listeners, you have to understand while she's describing them, she just took her pointer finger and her thumb and made like a mini pocket person when she was describing both Michaels. <laughs> like holding a Tic Tac or something. Between yeah, these men uh -huh. like an Aleve. I mean, just <laughs> little guys, little guys. But um, basically, when I finished singing, I just sang as hard as I could. You know, I knew every lick that Jennifer did. I knew how to sound just like her. That's what I did, you know, mm -hmm. my whole growing up. So uh, Michael Bennett then says, that's great. Um, Keisha, can you do a step touch for me? And I said, uh, I'm sorry, a what? <laughs> a step touch. And I said, I I I'm so sorry. Can you repeat that? A step touch. I'm so sorry. I don't, I don't know what that means. He got up from behind the table. He came to me. He held my hand and oh. literally went step, touch, step, touch. That's all it was. And then he said, he let my hand go. And then he said, okay, now swing your hips. And I didn't quite know how to do that yet. And he was like, <laughs> no, sexy, not a box, you know? So I did a little sexy. And then he said, do your hands like this and keep step touching. And that was my dance audition for Dream Girls. Wow. wow. All of this is giving me the feels from 890 Broadway to I Michael think... Bennett to holding your hand to learn to the step Howard touch. Johnson's bathroom. Oh, <laughs> well, you got to flush twice. You used to have to flush twice. Yes, you did. <laughs> it had really low water pressure. I remember that. <laughs> Your dad must have been over the moon when he oh, yeah. saw you standing on that Broadway stage at 18 years old in that show. Yeah. The first time I went on for Effie, I had just turned 19. Mm -hmm. And my dad, and, and that's when Broadway tickets were, you ready? $45. When orchestra seats were $45. So I could have as many people there as I wanted, you know, yeah. and my dad invited everybody from soup to nuts. We had relatives coming up from Alabama. They did not understand any of it, but they were just like, I see you. Funny story about my dad. <laughs> so the first he saw the show several times, but the first time he came, I got him and my mom and some other relative who was in town, 
uh, front balcony, front mezzanine seats. So during the fight scene, just before Anna, I'm telling you, I can see in my periphery that there's a little something happening up there near where my parents were sitting. So I couldn't focus on that. You know, I was like, what is happening? And then I had to, you know, stay in. So when the show was over and my mother says, your father forgot that we were in a show. <laughs> and when all of them started ganging up on you, <laughs> he was coming downstairs to kick some ass. <laughs> and we had to sit him down. Is that hilarious? And he just, just head down, shaking his head. And then we had to remind him, she's playing Effie. She's, she's acting. That's not Keisha. She's acting right now. Well, that's a good review. My dad didn't know the difference. I'm such a good actor that my father had no idea had that no we idea. were in a play. He just forgot. Through. He forgot. I feel yeah. like Marilee, your father was similar. Like oh he God. was, was he? he was. Uh, if uh, I, so I would sing a, a song like when I was doing Will Rogers, I would do, I did like the opening song and generally uh -huh. you don't uh, get the standing ovation. You just kind of let it go into the scene. Well, mm -hmm. my father would stand up and start screaming and then he'd look at the people around him and go, stand up. That's my kid. And they'd all stand <laughs> up and start clapping. So I often stopped the show with a standing ovation after my opening number because my father would threaten to hurt the people around right. him. Right. Yeah. yeah no. We had similar dads. Love it. <laughs> I love, love it. it. <laughs> yeah, he came to everything. And then there was the show that he came to that he walked out of. Oh, really? What show that was that? he was really angry. Um, Big River, what, my playing what? a slave. Ah. It, it, it hit him somewhere that I had never seen before. And I could see the periphery and he left. And then um, I think he went to, you know, the bar or something and just waited. And when the show was over... I said, how did you like it, dad? He said, I couldn't sit through it. And don't you ever invite me to ever see you do anything like that ever again. Wow. I can't watch it. Because he was from the deep south. Makes me a little fucklunt thinking about wow. it. Wow. Is um, it his it was family that's painful. from Alabama? Both, both my parents are from the same town. Oh, wow. They knew each other as kids and reconnected when they both left Alabama in, and came to New York. There was a small community of people from that town who relocated in this little area in the Bronx. And both of my parents wound up there. Wow. They were calling, you know, their classmates and relatives, you know, we live in this little area and it's all homies down here. So come on. And that's where they reconnected. Wow. Wouldn't that be great to find a place that you want to live? And then you call your community and say, all my loved ones, come on, people. Why don't you relocate and let's start a new sort of community here. I heard you talk once about you were under, you were understudying or standing by in a show and you decided mm -hmm. that that wasn't for you at a very young age, like 22 years old or 23 years yeah. old, you decided I'm not doing it anymore. And then you yeah. were offered an understudy position and you turned the show down, which I mean, at that age to have that kind of guts. And then right after that, you landed a biggie. Can you talk yeah. about that a little bit? Yeah, I had, um, I think my first four Broadway shows, I was either standing by or understudying. Mm -hmm. And that last one, it was the revival of Ain't Misbehaving. And I was the standby for Nell Carter and Armelia McQueen. And I was 23. 
I was the only one of the covers who had never done the show before. And so from day one, it was difficult. Nell, God rest her soul, did not make my life easy. And there were various things that happened during the course of that time that were very hurtful uh, that happened that I didn't quite understand because I didn't, it, it, it didn't occur to me that someone could be famous like that because she got her big TV break after the original, right? So now her name is above the title. She's a star. People are paying to see her. Um, which was also a painful experience sometimes when I was on for her and they had to make the announcement and then they would have to hold the curtain for people who went to the box office to get their money back. There would be a collective groan, you know, that she wasn't on. So there were lots of situations like that. And um, kind of the final straw, and I hung in there, was the most money I'd ever made. It was a standby gig. So, you know, I wasn't, super engaged, you know, I just had to be ready. And um, I could do that at 23, right? But by the end of the experience, what I realized, and I think it was because I was going on for her and going on for Armelia, I thought, I'm a lead. Mm -hmm. I can understudy, but I'm a lead. And my soul is more satisfied when I get to contribute myself as opposed to be close. Now, back in those days, you needed to be close and similar to the person you were covering. There was no talk of make it your own. It was do what she does, Mm -hmm. you know, so to the best of your ability. So that realization came and um, I prayed and I felt a peace about saying no to any other understudy or standby gigs that came my way. I went, that's it, I'm done. The next thing that came my way, which I actually is my one regret in the business, was to understudy in a play. I auditioned for Lloyd Richards when he was alive, and he cast me as the understudy for Epatha Murkerson in the piano lesson for the tour. And I said, no, because I had made that promise to myself. And then right behind that was once on this island. Yeah. See, that story fascinates me because I think when I was 23, I would have never had the courage to decide for myself what my future was. And I Mm -hmm. so admire when I talk to people and I hear at that young age where they say, no, no, I promised myself this. And you have enough self-respect and self-love to keep your promise to yourself. It took me Mm -hmm. way into my 40s, even my 50s, to find that and keep those promises to myself. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, it is interesting. Gosh, I admire it so much. And I just love that story. You know, I know it was a regret because you wish you had worked with that director but mm-hmm. you mean once on this Island was a huge launch. Yeah, it was, it was incredible amazing incredible role and it wouldn't have come had you not kept that promise to yourself. I just love right. that. Sometimes it's about areas of the life where you have the courage. I don't, I don't know very many women who don't have that courage. It may not be in your professional life. Oh, it may be great. in your personal life. You know that's what I mean? Way to look at it. 
It may be about relationships. It may be about how you deal with family, you know, if there's difficult stuff going on and you make a decision. I know very few women who don't have some of that in some area, even at a young age, if they look back. Mine just happened because I didn't have it in other areas. I did when it came to work because I think because of Ain't Misbehaving and Dream Girls and the Gospel at Colonus and, you know, Big River and all those things, I was able to see my value Mm -hmm. in that area. So I could make that decision a little easier. I'm glad you said that. I had moved to New York City when I was 22 for the first time. And that was my promise was to, you know, conquer the city, be part of the fabric of Broadway. And about nine months in, I had to break that promise, look at myself in the mirror and say, it's time to go home. This city Mm. is intimidating me. This city is feasting off of me. So I was showing up into the rehearsal spaces or audition spaces, but my daily life was so drenched in fear and insecurity that I needed the strength to say, I'm breaking this promise so that I can protect and figure out who I am for this piece of pie. But I know I need to do this to make my person stronger. So when it's time to return, I'm not a fearful little girl on these streets of New York. You know what I mean? So yeah. that's where I found my strength. And thank God, and it took me a while. It took me about another seven years before I would return. But that was the work I needed to do so that my art form can succeed. You know, it's a really fascinating oh, conversation. I'm reading this book right now, The Upgrade. I started it this morning and have already sent it to about 10 friends. Oh my gosh. But it's it's about coming into your own power as a female. And, and as we age, um, when the nurture part of ourself begins to go down, how it rises up for ourself. But anyway, it mm. just talks about how as we step into our 40s and 50s, the women that we are, then we have a license to become. It's really fantastic. I love that. I remember when when we met that time when I made you get up and hug me. (laughs) (laughs) Because I loved you so much. Um, We had you had told me that you were you were stepping away from the business for a while. Yeah. Can can you talk a little about that? Because I remember practically crying at the table and saying, you can't do that. You can't do that. You have no idea how much you've inspired so many people. Um, That was right after once on this island. So what happened there was that just before the summer before, I can't remember. I think it was the summer before we went to Broadway. Uh, I had done, I think an ain't misbehaving regionally somewhere. And I met, there was a NBC TV show that was shooting in Texas or wherever we were. And some executives came to see the show and they offered me a development deal with NBC. I didn't know what that was. It was like, what is this? This is weird. You want to give me money to not work? What are you saying exactly? So basically the development deal was that they were interested in me for developing something for television. I could not work in television. That was the deal. I could do theater. I could do anything else, but not television. And they would pay me $30,000. Just to retain you, to not work on TV. Don't audition for TV. No. And I was like, Okay, that's a nice deal. I'll take that. And they flew me out to LA 
And I do this showcase for the NBC executives. And what his vision was, was he said, I see you as the black Carol Burnett. And what I want to do oh, is fabulous. put together a variety show. Oh my God, that sounds amazing. Cause she was yeah. one of, one of my heroes, heroes, you know what I mean? Yes. So long story short, I do the showcase NBC passes. It didn't happen. I was in the dumps. I was depressed also because the timing was such that I had to be ready to fly to LA and work on the show. And I was doing once on this island. So I had to give my notice mm. just in case it all, mm. but it fell apart. So by the time it fell apart and I went back to Graziella, Danielle and Lynn and Steven and said, it's not going to happen. I can, I, you know, come back. And they said, we're so sorry. We hired uh Lilius white. She's going to replace you. Um, prayerfully, you can come back to us. So I did, uh, later, but during the, after that incident, after all of that happened, I went away and I went to Jamaica. First time I went to on vacation by myself, my husband and mother were not pleased, but I said, I just need a minute away from everybody's influence. Spent a lot of time praying and journaling and sitting in front of the ocean and just listening. And what I sensed was that there were some things that I had learned in the industry as a younger person that were not jiving with who I was as a person. Uh, you were letting it shape you. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And I would have moments of tension between the two, but more often than not, the part that wasn't my personality was winning. Mm-hmm. And I didn't like it. Mm-hmm. And it was only when I could be quiet and by myself could I admit that to myself? And it was like, okay, what do I do? What came to me was you need to step away for a minute and gather who you are. Your seven years, Stephanie, was my six. Mm -hmm. I was out of the business for six years. And I worked as a teacher. I worked at a magazine. I did everything except perform. And it was hard. It was really hard because then what, the day that I wanted to slit my wrists was when Once on this Island was nominated and uh, Lilius did my song on national TV. And I was like, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Yeah. However, I knew that I was on the right path for me. I didn't know how long the break would be. I thought it would be maybe a year. It wound up being six because I kept checking in with myself and it wasn't quite the right time. And that time helped me to develop the core of me as a woman. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. Which right? makes you a deeper, richer artist because yes. of your teaching experiences, yeah. because of entering other spaces in this world that you may not have. And then you just infuse them in what you're doing on stage as an artist. Yeah. I think that's what I was trying to say when I was saying about the little sprouts, because I feel like for me, those years were um, my motherhood years. I stepped mm. away and immersed myself in this job that I knew I was only going to get to do once because I was close to 40 when I had him. And now I can step back in wh- the way I want to step back in and not yeah. have it shape me, but I get to shape it. Right, right, right. I think taking those kind of times even if they're brief, to really just get in touch with yourself, I think 
it causes you not only to be a richer performer on stage, but a richer human being in a business that is very not nice. Mm -hmm. I had a lot of, over those first few years before I took that break, a lot of not niceness Mm -hmm. directed at me. Now I'm the type of person clearly that if you say no to me, I'm jumping over you. Or I'm like, who's your boss? Because I'm not taking no from you. But that still creates scars and wounds and different things. And everybody's personality is not the same. Mine is such that I would push it down and keep it moving. Some people, it breaks them, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Some people, they're reeling from it. They don't quite know what it is. So for me, having those experiences the outside of the business, the the greatest lesson that it taught me, it was two really great lessons. One was that in my younger years, I needed this. Mm -hmm. I didn't need it anymore. I knew that I could use my gifts in other areas that had nothing to do with performing. And they were just as valuable, if not more so, and helpful to people's lives, not just their entertainment, right? So that was the one thing. And the second thing was as a spiritual person, I'm going to use a little Christianese here. um, I would experience sometimes in church what I would call an anointing to serve, right? So that the presence of the spirit of God will come upon me and sometimes rise up in me. And what would come out of me would be more God than Keisha. Mm -hmm. Sometimes when I was in church, because I was performing, what would come up and on me is Keisha's ego. Mm -hmm. And I sensed that God was not pleased with that for my life. So I didn't quite know how to either live with the two. Did I need to let go of one? What was it? And what I learned in those six years was that the anointing, as I call it, the presence of God is in me. It doesn't go anywhere. My job is to keep it stirred up, Mm. to keep my relationship with God fresh so that no matter what I'm doing, if I'm playing the evilest woman that ever lived, Mm -hmm. that the presence of God is there and it can affect people in a spiritual way and not just entertain. God, I love that so much. It took me to step away in order to get that. I wouldn't have gotten that. Yeah. without it. And then when it was time to step back in, you know, God is hilarious. I decided <laughs> to audition for shows that I would never be cast in because I was rusty. Yeah, I was like, okay, I'm going to audition for all the Rodgers and Hammerstein shows. So the first one, so the first one was The Sound of Music. Who's going to cast me in The Sound of Music? I got cast as the Mother Superior <laughs> in The Sound of Music. It was so fun. And then I just, you know, kept going from there. But I didn't step back in until I knew that I knew that I knew that it was time. Yeah. Can I ask you, what is your spiritual practice? Like, do you wake up and do you have a little altar that you sit with? Do you go for a walk in the woods? Do you meditate? Do you do yoga? What, what is it? Do you mind my asking? No, I don't mind. Whatever it is, I'm going to copy. (laughs) (laughs) She's a church going girl. Are you ready to go to church? I'm a church. church, Listen, no, no, God won't. Um, so my usual practice first thing in the morning is thank you. I say, thank you in the bed. That's the altar. Thank you. I'm alive. Thank you for a restful and peaceful sleep. 
Thank you for safety. Thank you for this home. Thank you for the food in my refrigerator. Mm-hmm. Thank you for my child and his safety. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the car that I'm yes. still paying on, but I get to drive and go wherever I want to go. Amen. Thank you for everything I can think of. Gratitude right? is the start of everything. Yeah. Gratitude, the start of the morning. And then I spend some time, I read um, some uh, 12-step literature. I'm involved in a couple of 12-step programs. Um, uh, for eating disorders and also adult child issues, which I learned about recently uh, in 2018. And that's been a great healing for me. I read some of that literature. I read the Bible. I meditate. I pray and I go on my day. Can I talk to you about your health journey? Would that be okay to discuss on here? Okay. So with this spiritual practice, and um, I'm going to let you tell your own story, but while you are going through all of these different uh, treatments. Do you talk to your body? Do you talk to your cells? Are you in communication with God? Like, what does that look like? Tell our listeners what's happening with you and around you right now. So I am uh, in radiation treatments for a second bout with breast cancer. Um, I was first diagnosed in 2019. So I had no idea. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Oh, it's okay. I'm good. I'm good. So um, so I wound up having surgery and because of booking this TV show out in LA, I left 10 days after surgery and I was out in LA for three months shooting a series and I didn't get the second part of my treatment. And then the pandemic happened when I had planned to. So I never got the second part. I was diagnosed again this past, oh, I guess it was July. Um, And I had another surgery. And I decided after a lot of prayer and talking to people, I thought, okay, I think this time I need to be very open and listening to what is right for me. And what I heard was do everything that they suggest. So that's what I'm doing. So I'm in the middle of radiation treatments right now. I go five days a week. Uh, I have 20 treatments and, um, uh, the treatments are very short. They're like 15 minutes. And what I do during the time that I'm there is I was just thinking about this, this morning, I was in a meeting and we were, there was a discussion about things that you do to slow down to not allow your life to get ahead of you, you know? Because when your life gets ahead of you, you miss stuff. You don't see things and stuff starts to happen that you didn't see it coming because you're just moving too fast. Mm -hmm. So with this, with this radiation treatment, I'm finding myself being very gentle with slowing down and uh, I'm going to take care of Keisha. Mm. And my 18 year old son is helping. He's getting up in the morning, washing dishes an act of God, an act of God, because he knows I want those dishes clean. (laughs) So, you know, my spiritual practice when I'm on that table is I either count one Mississippi, two Mississippi. So I don't know why that kind of calms and centers me. When I meditate very often, I count in one, out two, in mm-hmm. three, out four, until I get to 10 and then start over. That's what I've been doing lately. That may change, 
But whatever I can do to slow down, center and calm myself and be present for the voice of God. Mm -hmm. Because if my head is racing and full of stuff, Mm -hmm. I can't hear. Right. And now it's time for the five questions. Keisha, if your family and friends heard that you were arrested, what would they assume that you have done to land yourself in jail? Murdered someone for hurting my child. Ooh. It's a little frightening how quickly that came. I mean, it was start, middle, end, period, done. Are you, is there and some one Mississippi and two Mississippi. Yeah. Is there a little Sicilian in your background? Because that was. Oh, all day. Really... All day. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, all right. In the book that is your life, what is this chapter called? Framing Joy. Framing Joy. I think reframing. reframing. Oh, reframing joy. Okay. Because it cut out on my end. Reframing joy. I love it. Um. Keisha, do you have a nickname? What is it? And who gave it to you? <laughs> Keisha May, Keisha May Louise, uh, Keisha May Johnson, uh, which is hilarious to me. I think the first person who said, who called me that was Brenda Braxton, who was the dance captain on Dreamgirls and taught me the show. And people without knowing over the years in all different areas of my life have said that to me. So I made it my email name. (laughs) (laughs) And no listener, do not go on and be like Keisha May at att.com. Keisha (laughs) May at yahoo.com. Don't do it, people. (laughs) Don't do it. Don't do it. And, And interestingly enough, my mother's middle name is May. Oh, wow. She's Betty May. I love that. All right. If we step into your closet, is there something in there that you will never get rid of for what it represents for where you were or who you are? Yes. I have a mink poncho that I bought when we didn't talk about it, but the drama that I had with Shrek when I had to, um, uh, sue DreamWorks for breach of my contract. So when I got my money, I wanted a reminder that was beautiful and wonderful and not awful about that time. If you were a nail polish color, what would that color be? And what's the cheeky little name? The color would be fuchsia. And it would be hot pink of the booty. pink of the booty. Are you, you know, sure you, you know don't want to change to your email address to that? Because that seems really good. What came to me was when you said fuchsia, I thought um, I thought Keisha shapes her fuchsia. fuchsia. Yeah. Oh, that's, what, yes. that's what came to me. So you can go with my name if you want to. I'll take it. Oh, <laughs> you are just a force. She's yeah, a force. You're a force yeah. and you're wonderful and you're so talented and you're just, you're the best. Thank you, you guys. Thank you. Thank you for having this podcast and letting some, leaving a space for 
people who are always or seem to have to always be on mm-hmm. can be their authentic self and the on that is them. Mm-hmm. That is interesting. That is exciting. And that is encouraging and inspirational. So thank you both for what the space that you've created in the oh, world. You're so, the greatest you're compliment. So sweet. Yeah, it really is. Really is. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Mwah. Hope to see love, you love. soon. Love, love. You will. Coming up next, what struck a chord with us right after a word from our sponsor. Y'all, Stages is now sponsored by BetterHelp, and I couldn't be more excited because I love therapy. So I encourage you, if you've had a tough year and a half, (laughs) why don't you give them a shot? You can find a therapist that you can connect with. Their resource is thousands of therapists well-trained and experienced. You can keep looking until you find someone that you click with. They have customized online therapy. They do offer videos, but they also offer phone and live chat sessions. So you don't even have to be seen. You can only be heard. What are you waiting for? Go to BetterHelp. That's H-E-L-P.com slash stages. And for our cast members, you get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash stages. Go, go, go. Go find your healing. Go find your happy. Stages podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. That's H-E-L-P. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. that was the greatest compliment we could ever have gotten. I and was from Keisha Lewis, I who know. is such a vessel of truth. And, you know, like she says, I encourage, and it may not be the way you want to hear it, but that's exactly the way I would have wanted to hear it from her. So I feel like we got a a real badge of honor. Yes. Yes. I, I can't, I can't speak highly enough about, you know, when you can really hear the words of someone and also see them in real time in action, which I was afforded that gift just last month, um, to know that they, they match her words and her actions really, really match. You know, when you see someone like this, who's got the words and the tools, even in the most inopportune time, they still rise to the top and live their truth. It's just, it, it really is an encouragement and an invitation, a loud invitation for me to say it's possible. She's amazing. And we didn't even get into her TV career, which is also incredible. I mean, she's really? on what Blacklist. Yes. Um, she's reoccurring Adam's on Blacklist. Secretary. I mean, she has a huge yeah. TV career as well. And we didn't even, the, the time went so fast, we didn't even touch on any of that. And she didn't feel the need. Like when I listed off all these, you know, 30 credits, uh, stage credits, she didn't feel the need to even say, and, you know, there's been yeah. a TV and film yeah. career there, which yeah. again is a testament to to who she is. Um, yeah, because she made that decision so long ago that it doesn't shape her. She shapes it. That's right. And I think that's, oh, she's just fierce. She's amazing. That's right. You know, when she was saying, I feel like my spiritual calling is that, well, it seems like she is a a voice for justice. She's an encourager. How would you describe yourself? What are some of those? I'm definitely, um, I'm definitely a healer. I Mm -hmm. I, I always feel the need to help people through difficult times. And so I definitely have that. And I, I've been told teacher, but I don't ever feel like a teacher. Um, 
I don't love teaching and I don't, so I must teach in some other way that I haven't really uh, fully understood or realized, you know? Mm. Um, but I would say, yeah, healer is for sure part of what I am. Yeah. What about you? Mm. I feel like I am a, like a cheerleader or a giver of joy, right? I love to celebrate people and events and accomplishments. I just, I like those moments of, of joy, big or small. And I think I'm a connector. I think I'm good at connecting either ideas with people or people Mm -hmm. together with people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel that is a, that's a gift. This was such an awesome conversation. I just, I knew she would be, I knew she would just come right in and open up. And, you know, when I sent her the email and said, we don't really talk about what you're working on. We more talk about like your failures and the things you love and what's the big surprise that you didn't know about yourself. She was like, oh, I'll talk about anything. You can bring up anything you want and I'll go there. And I was like, oh, okay, great. Beautiful. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. All right, my friend. Love you. Love you too. Bye. So if this episode resonated with you, please follow, subscribe, and share. You can always find us at stagespodcast.net. A big thank you goes out to our assistant and doer of all things technical, Saren Cho. Thank you to Noah Kaiserman and Garrett Healy for our beautiful original music. Melanie Von Trapp for our Stages Podcast logo. Brock Grenfeld, our sound engineer. And Allison Arns, our PR and social media expert. And thank you, our cast members, for joining us today. We hope you come back next week.